0: Those are my pre-words. We'll jump to the sermon next, but we're going to start with our scripture reading. Eli, come on up here. Eli's going to lead us in our lectionary passage this morning. It comes to us from the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. And uh, let's listen to that, and then we'll jump into the sermon. The
1: reading from Exodus, chapter 32, verses 1 through 14. The people saw that Moses was taking a long time. To come down from the mountain they gathered around aaron and said to him come on make us gods who can lead us as for this man moses who brought us up out of the land of egypt we don't have a clue what has happened to him aaron said to them all right take out the gold rings from the ears of your wives your sons and your daughters and bring them to me So all the people took out the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He collected them and tied them up in a cloth. Then he made a metal image of a bull calf. And the people declared, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf. Then Aaron announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord They got up early the next day and offered up entirely burned offerings and brought well-being sacrifices. The people sat down to eat and drink and then got up to celebrate. The Lord spoke to Moses, Hurry up and go down. Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, are ruining everything. They've already abandoned the path that I commanded. They have made a metal bull calf for themselves They've bowed down to it and offered sacrifices to it and declared, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I've been watching these people and I've seen how stubborn they are. Now leave me alone. Let my fury burn and devour them. Then I'll make a great nation out of you. But Moses pleaded with the Lord his God, Lord, why does your fury burn against your own people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt with great power and amazing force? Why should the Egyptians say he had had an evil plan to take the people out and kill them in the mountains so wipe them off the earth? Calm down your fierce anger. Change your mind about doing terrible things to your own people. Remember Abraham Isaac, and Israel, your servants, whom you yourself promised, I'll make your descendants as many as the stars in the sky, and I have promised to give your descendants this whole land to possess for all time. Then the Lord changed his mind about the terrible things he said he would do to his people. The word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Thank you, Eli. Well, I think that's a fascinating passage. It's one I used to be like, I don't want to read that. And now I'm like, this is, this is good. Like, we could spend a long time on that one. Most of all, I love that Moses is like, God, would you change your mind? And God's like, yeah, I will. I, that'll throw a wrench into your theology. So, But that's, <laughs> that is a sermon for another day. Um, we're ramping up toward All Saints Day, which... Uh, will happen in a few weeks. All Saints is a church, it's a day in the church year, but it feels like that's underselling it in my book. It feels like we need a season for All Saints. So I've just decided the next three weeks will be our season for All Saints. Um, and uh, the reason is because in, we live in a time where pseudo-identities and counter-identities are on offer to us constantly. And so to sit with the question, what does it mean to be All the Saints? What does it mean to be God's holy, set-apart people in this world, in our day and time? That's a big question. That's an important question. And so we're going to look at that over the next few weeks, and specifically we'll talk about the way that we worship, how worship is formed in this community— um, and, and how that helps us lean into a world where we can be God set-apart people. There's this core idea in Anglicanism uh, that is this. It's lex credendi, lex... Uh, oh, I said it backwards. Lex arondi, lex credendi. The law of praying is the law of believing, which is to say that the way we pray and worship, the actual structures and forms and words and patterns of our worship change what we come to believe and how we are formed to love. If you go to a church, any church, and sing songs and pray prayers and read words for year upon year upon year, you will be shaped into particular ways of believing. And so that could be good or it could be bad, but it's just human. And so we do well to take seriously that the way we pray and worship is formative in our lives. It's actually changing the substance of of what we love and how we love and who we've come to love uh and the way we've come to love and so for the next few weeks we want to sit with some scriptures that will guide us to reflect on the the way that we worship how we worship why we do what we do today we'll look at that from a bird's eye next week we'll actually pull apart our liturgy a little bit and just almost like guided commentary through a parish service like why do we do confession and assurance and why do we pass the peace and why do we do the sign of the cross what do these things mean um, so that because there's great intentionality around it. When David and I gather to plan our worship services, it's one of my favorite meetings each week, uh, we get to sit and ask what are the songs that are the right songs? And how does that connect to this prayer or this poem or this reading or this image or this practice? And there's great intentionality that is woven into the service. Because we don't want to just randomly sing some songs and randomly do a sermon. And like we're trying to shape a community in the way that we gather together. So we do our best to be really intentional. And we're just a couple of people. And what we learn from the passage today is that a couple of people have tendencies to shape worship in their own image, right? And so here are God's people having been miraculously led out of Egypt and they've seen the Red Sea split, and they've walked across an ocean on dry ground, they've seen the cloud of pillar and fire, they've seen Moses with their own eyes. And having seen all of that, then God goes and takes Moses out on a retreat. And and they're gone for a long time. Uh, And after a long time, all these people who have seen with their own eyes God do miraculous things in their life say, I don't know who Moses is, and, and he's taken a long time, and you know what? God's taken a long time with him as well, and they get weary of waiting. First question that comes up for me is, what do we do when God's taking a long time, longer than we want him to take in our lives? And here's what we tend to do. The passage tells us, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, come on, make us gods who can lead us. That is the most American verse in the Bible, I think. <laughs> Come on! Make us a, something that will lead me. Give me some vision. Give me a strategy. Give me a direction. Show me the way. This is what we hunger for, and we want to be led, and we want to see vision, and we want it on our timeline, and we don't have a clue what happened to that guy, Moses. And so we'll, we'll do something in our own image. And what's fascinating to me is here's Aaron. Aaron is the figurehead for the pastor, right? He's the priest. He's the founder of priests. Every priest tracks their lineage back to Aaron. Aaron's a good guy in scripture. And Aaron, good guy, Pastor Aaron says to them, all right, bring me some rings. Take some stuff out of your jewelry boxes. Let's craft a golden cow together. I mean, how does that happen, right? And, and he just says, all right, let's do it. And so they go and they shape this golden calf, and, uh, and, and they, they create their own false god. And Aaron says, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. It's fascinating how we can create our own thing and call it worship, right? And I think that's really instructive to the headlines today and to the realities of the day and to our own devotional lives and our own church life. This thing that we want in our image, ah, oh, we'll say that it's worship to God. And so uh, golden calves can be called worship, but they're still golden calves. So I'm spending way too much time in this section. Uh, we, <laughs> we need a different pattern uh, for worship so that we don't end up doing that, so that we don't end up crafting a golden calf. Um, the challenge is that we live from these unconscious, unexamined patterns. We have these expectations and scripts for how we think life should go. And these, uh, these patterns uh, are, are forming us. In fact, Chris, if you'll go back for me uh, to, yeah, to Pong, thank you. Some of us have a Pong pattern. We might call this karma. You all know the game Pong, right? The thing just bounces back and forth live with this idea that, like, what goes around comes around. There's back and forths to life. The things I send out into the universe will come back to me, you know, that kind of idea. Um, And so that's one of the unconscious, unexamined patterns that we may be living from. Others of us have this up-and-down pattern, this serpentine, like I'm going to go through highs and lows in my life, but it's all a bit arbitrary. There's no real purpose in it. Others of us, this is the American pattern, up and to the right. I expect that it is my birthright, that wealth and health and greater authority and greater reputation and greater relational and vocational satisfaction will come to me. And when it doesn't happen on that pattern, we get confounded, right? There's truth in these patterns. They're not all wrong. There's something to hold to in all of these, but they're not God's patterns. They're they're golden calf patterns. And so they work for a while, and then they don't work. And when they don't work, we're confounded, and our expectations aren't met, and God seems to be a long ways off on the mountain. He's behaving in an unexpected way. And this is where the temptation arises to create our own lesser thing that will give us what we thought we deserved, what we were owed. Um, And so we need a different pattern instead that puts God at the center, not our assumptions and our expectations. And so here's a different pattern. This isn't going to be a surprise to anybody who followed along in the big enough story sermon series that we did, but it's good to be reminded. We follow this pattern throughout Scripture. It shows up over and over and over. You can read the board there. I'm not going to go through all of them, but I'll land to the plane here that this, this pattern is life, suffering, death, resurrection. And this pattern plays out so often in Scripture that theologians have a name for it. It's called the Paschal Mystery, which means mysterious passage that if we are to take Jesus up on his invitation, Jesus says, follow me. He says that all the time. Follow me, follow me, follow me. If we follow Jesus, we also will follow Jesus' pattern of life. And Jesus' pattern of life was life, suffering, death, resurrection into new life. That pattern is at the heart of Jesus' life and therefore it's at the pattern of every Jesus follower's life. It is normative that we will go through that pattern in our life. And uh, I actually think that, this is a new idea for me that any place in my life where spiritual formation is taking place where god is at work to form me into greater Christ-likeness, some miniature version of that pattern is playing out there's a place where i'm being invited into necessary change which feels like a death that will lead to new life um and so that's how we grow um and so the most intuitive way we can understand this is through seasons we see all around us this pattern it's baked into the whole creation, right? There's summertime and then there's fall and winter and spring and the seasons are distinct realities that come and go and then come back again. They revolve, but they are not random. And we cannot control the seasons, but we can cooperate with the seasons and we know that it's normal for a season to change. So we're starting to get a new picture that we can hold to in life. And the natural seasons follow patterns that help us make sense of the moment that we're living in. You know there's summertime. And summertime just evokes a warmth and a play and an abundance. Everything is flourishing and blossoming and blooming. It's a time of rest. It feels like heaven. Everything is effortless in summer. It was in a season about two years ago where it just literally felt like everything that I touched in my life just turned to gold. Right? It wasn't me, it was just summer season. And it was great. And we want to enter those seasons wholeheartedly. And we also know that season's not forever. Um, And then there's fall. There's time of change. It necessarily means struggle because change involves suffering. We don't change without some degree of suffering. There's a new reality being born. And then there's winter, this mysterious loss and dying that we cannot possibly understand yet. There's a death happening around us, the death of our dreams, the death of our youth, the death of our relationship, the death of our health or our finances or our future plans, the death of a job. And there are some seasons in life that are just inordinately and inexplicably difficult and really painful and disorienting. It's the season when God takes a long time up on the mountain and I mistake his silence for absence. And boy, for whatever reason, here we are two years later, I'm in one of those seasons right now. The last six months have just been inordinately difficult for our family in, in a handful of ways. Uh, and that's okay, we see, we realize, this is part of the pattern, right? And, uh, and if we aren't careful, we go to great lengths to manufacture life in a season that is supposed to be and needs to be about dying. And we try to contrive and force and manufacture the, the summertime that I feel like I need. And we miss that something needs to go into the grave in order that something new might come back out. And so then there, of course, will be resurrection and springtime does come, and we start to see and breathe again, we start to feel let in on a secret, we realize I'm still alive, still alive. And so this month's practice uh, is the examine, we're walking through a spiritual practice every month. The prayer of examine is this prayer that helps us pay attention to our lives and to God's work in our lives that we might cooperate with God. And we've been doing that primarily through this idea of like every 24 hours stepping back and saying, where is God at work in my life in the last day? Where was God coming to me through the ordinary course of life? But there's also something called a grand examine, which is where we step way further back to notice God's broad themes of invitation throughout an entire season of life. What's the bigger story? What's the pattern that I'm being invited into? And what I've found is that if we pay attention to it, God seems to usually offer us a theme of invitation over the course of a particular season oh, this is happening, oh, and, and that's happening, and that's happening, and if we step back and we notice it, we go, oh, there's a through line to those things. I'm being invited into something. And we want to get a sense of what that theme of invitation is for the different season, because that gives us a different criteria for understanding our lives. Instead of Pong, instead of up and to the right, I now have a different way to make sense of what's happening in my life. In the different sense is that God's inviting me into something through this current season. So God's taking a long time on the mountain. Yeah, that's okay. I knew that this season was about patience. Or God seems to be silent. Okay, that's okay. I know that God's inviting me into a greater release of control. So that makes sense, right? For me, this last season, the two things that seemed to come up for me earlier this year was an invitation into greater strength and an invitation into death and resurrection of some of my preferred survival strategies for life. And boy, has that happened, <laughs> right? And when I say strength, I don't mean that I get stronger, I mean like actually what I've experienced is a lot of weakness. And, and then through the weakness, the invitation to notice God coming through that and, and, and to notice that there is a new way that I'm being invited to live that is for the sake of my healing but requires letting go of things that I think I need to be safe. And so, here's the question. What's the current season of your soul? And, and what is God's theme of invitation in it? Is Jesus looking to do harvesting work in your life? Or pruning? Or planting? Or tending? Or tilling? Our task is to stay with God sense what God is up to as best as we can, and God doesn't always let us in on the secret. Sometimes we just don't know. But as best as we can to discern what God's up to and then cooperate with him in it, stay with him in it. That's a vital part of our spiritual formation. And so we'll land the plane with this. I want to walk through one more way that we worship then as a community. Because how do we then, if we apply that to our collective life, how do we make sure that we're following God's script, God's pattern, so that we don't go create a golden calf? when things don't go the way we thought they would? And how do we center God in the story rather than centering ourselves? And for this, we're not only given a different pattern, but we're given a different calendar. And the different calendar we're given, some call it the sacred year, some call it the church calendar, some call it the liturgical calendar. We follow these seasons of our shared life together. Uh, I did not grow up in an Anglican tradition or any kind of sacramental tradition at all that followed the church year, and so as a result, I just assumed it should be summertime all the time, <laughs> right? Like, and, and then things are like, l- like leaves are falling away, and I'm feeling exposed, or, or there's change, or there's a shriveling, or there's, there's a, a, a nakedness, so to speak, and what, what, what about that? What's going on here? And so it helped when I learned about Advent. Oh, you're telling me that baked into the story are seasons in our life where we cry for God to be born in our lives and God says, not yet? And then there's Christmas, where Christ arrives, this surprising incarnation of love into the weary world, and it rejoices. This thrill of hope comes. Jesus is born afresh into our reality. There's Epiphany, this shining star of belovedness and baptismal blessing that reorients our lives. And there is Lent. We will go through seasons in the wilderness, seasons where we are tempted and torn, seasons where we are broken open in this profounding crucible of transformation, seasons where we're reminded that we need to confess and we are reminded that we will die. There are holy weeks in our lives days where we suffer and there's loss and fear. There are days of deepest pain and death. There is a descent into Hades in our life. are three days in the grave. And then one day we rise up again out of that season. We don't even know how it happened. We look around and it's like our life feels like springtime again. How did we get here? It feels so much like springtime. I'm convinced that guy over there must be a gardener because everything's blossoming again that was dead. This is all part of the pattern. We walk through Pentecost. We're given a new spirit for the life that we've been living. The dove descends, fresh power for our life. And then there are all kinds of ordinary times where it just feels like those marked moments aren't happening at all and we're just living in the ordinary time. This is the pattern. This is the whole story, and also we'll do it again next year. That's what I love about this tradition because we're starting to become patterned by a larger story. So that when I find myself in Lent, I realize, oh, that belongs. When I find myself in Advent, oh yeah, that belongs. When I find myself in the joy of Pentecost, that belongs too. I said earlier, you don't have to be happy all the time. Well, it's also okay to be happy, right? And so what we're seeing here is God's in all of this calendar and therefore it all belongs to God. You can map your whole life to those seasons. It'd be a fascinating exercise map your entire life, you'll find that it fits in one of those seasons. may not always be in that sequence, but the whole ingredients are up there on the board. There's nothing that happens to us in our life that doesn't belong in God's calendar. And so, I love how Kenneth Tanner says it. We'll end with this. The sacred year teaches us to mark time by the human God Entering into his kind of life over and over and over again, and by this repetition, to come to interpret existence and all our moments by eternity's life. And so, marking time this way helps us understand that healthy things experience all seasons. It's what it means to be healthy. And it's our expectations for life that set us up to see hard times as this invasion or interruption rather than an invitation. But if we can see our lives patterned to this sort of story, then we're not devastated when we walk through hard things because we actually realize, oh, that's what it meant to take Jesus up on his invitation to follow. Of course, of course. And in the end, the last word is life. So, let's go into our own hearts here for a moment as we close. And the idea here is not to just talk about ideas, and it's not even just to name the season that you might be in. Ultimately, what we're after here is discerning what God is inviting you into in that season. And so let's do a little bit of an examine together here for a moment. And begin by just asking you, if you can, what season is your soul in? Try to get a sense of that. And then ask God, what is the theme of his invitation? Like if you can try to spot a couple of highlighted moments in what you've been walking through and see if there's a common thread that God might be using to invite you into something. Jesus, we bring the realities of our heart to you, trusting that there is nowhere that we're walking that you are not with us and inviting us into greater Christ-likeness and wholeness, both for the healing of our own lives but also for the sake of others. Would you help us to get a sense of what you're up to as much as you're willing to share, God? If you're not willing to share anything, would you just help us to hold on and trust? Help us to become your cooperative friends in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I know that not all of you are in a season where you can do what I'm about to say, which is part of the point. We all have different seasons. but if you have the space in this season of life, I want to point you toward a guided grand examine. I put this together for a retreat a handful of years ago, and we just put it up on the website. You can go to parish.community/grand, and it's a five-step process that will guide you through looking back on the last six to eighteen months of your life, and seeing the patterns, seeing the seasons trying to get a sense of what the invitation is in that and what are the gifts God is providing you with to help you as you walk through that season. So it's meant to be done in at least half a day. You don't want to try to uh, blaze through this in 15 minutes or really even in a handful of days. It'd be best to do all at once in a larger chunk of time. So if you have time and space for that, I encourage you to go to parishshotcommunity/grand, and you can get that resource and create some time and space to do this sort of work with God.